Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Amen. It is a joy to be with you. Had a joy to be with your pastors last night for dinner, and it was such a blessing to be there. I sat and I listened to laughter and camaraderie and joking, and I thought how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. You're a blessed church. God has been very kind. And I also sat there and thought, if I get paid for doing this, I'm getting paid way too much if I get paid at all with joy like that last evening. It was such a joy to be with your pastors. Psalm 115 is a psalm for faith in a fallen world. Parts of our culture, as you know, increasingly oppose Christianity and others see Christianity as just one of many ways to God. Uh, Psalm 115 is a wonderful song for us to consider as God's people and to proclaim in a culture that increasingly, increasingly looks askance at the Lord's church. A world who often challenges us and says, where is your God? If he's so great, if your God is so great, why are things the way they are in the world? And not only in the world, but in the church. And whether in old... Old Testament Israelites who lived among pagan nations or God's people today uh, surrounded by an increasingly hostile world that scoffs at our beliefs. Psalm 115 strengthens our faith and powerfully reminds us that the Lord we trust is like no other God. He's faithful to bless and worthy of praise. So we're going to look at this psalm under three themes. We're going to look at the cry of the Lord's redeemed. We're going to look at the truth that our God is like no other. And then we're going to look at our Lord, worthy of trust, worthy of praise. So the cry of the Lord's redeemed is not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory. As you read that, you notice that Psalm 115 is not a personal meditative uh, psalm or a private prayer made by a lone individual. 
And while we're not given the specific occasion of this psalm, and we're not, we're not sure. Some thought, well, maybe it was the Israelites when they were in Babylon, when they'd been out exiled to Babylon. We're not sure about that. But it doesn't it resonate in our hearts as Christians and as people of God's people throughout the ages, Lord. We say, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. That's the heart cry of God's people, whether in ancient Babylon or first century Rome or in 21st century America. This is not a generic cry to a generic God, to bring a generic peace. It is a cry of God's people to the Lord, God's covenant, pe- or God's covenant people to their God, the Lord, for specific, for specific things that take place. They are praying to their God with specific prayer in response to why should the nations say where is their God? Why should the nations think this, Lord? They're saying we don't see him. We don't see him. We don't see his power the way you say. We don't even see it. You ever feel like that? They don't even, we don't even see it in your lives. You get to have the same sickness as we have. You have the same challenges at times that we have. You have the same difficulties. If he's so powerful, where is he? Where is this God? Perhaps he's just a figment of your imagination. That's, that's the background. That's a scenario that the psalm is written in. And so the reply Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory. Display your greatness for all to see because you are a God for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Display your glory through your steadfast love and faithfulness to your people. Vindicate your name through your steadfast love and faithfulness. And steadfast love and faithfulness are the very characteristics the Lord revealed to the Israelites is the steadfast love and faithfulness that God revealed to Moses. You remember the story in Exodus 32. God had delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. They go out into the wilderness. He'd done it supernaturally with amazing plagues. Amazing power takes them through the Red Sea. They go out into the wilderness. Moses goes up on the mountain to get the commandments. He's going a little too long. And what do the people do? They create a golden calf and say, Here, O Israel, is your God who delivered you out of Egypt. And when Moses came down off the mountain, the Lord says, I'm done with his people. I'm going to start a new nation with you. I'm going to destroy the people. I'm done. And Moses says, Lord, you can't. Don't do that, Lord. What will the nation say? They're going to say he's not able to deliver his people. Lord says, okay, but if I go, I'll destroy him. I can't go. I'll tell you what, I'll send them, but I won't go with them. And you remember what Moses said. What did he say? He said, don't send us unless you go with us, O Lord. Don't send us unless you go with us. And the Lord says, I will go with you. I will go with you. And in response to that, Moses says, well, Lord, show me your works. Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord says, well, you can't see my face, Moses, but I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. Remember this story. I'll put you in a crack in the rock. You can't see my face, but I'll have all my goodness pass before you, and I will declare my name. And so he put him in the cleft of the rock. He passed before him, removed his hand, and he declared his name. And listen to what the Lord declared. Think of all the things the Lord could have declared as he passed by Moses. But listen to what he said. I'm I'm going to have all my goodness pass before you, and I'm going to declare my name. And here's what he declared. The Lord, the Lord a God of merciful and gracious, 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and sin, but who by no means will clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. But he declares his name, the Lord, the Lord. And who is this Lord? He's a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And that's what the people of Israel experienced for 40 years in the wilderness. They did experience the judgment of God at times, but they experienced his steadfast love and faithfulness for 40 years and entering into the promised land. And God's people in Psalm 115 are asking the one true God to bring glory to his name in a fallen world by displaying that steadfast love and faithfulness before the nations once again to his people. Lord, why should they say, where's their God? Why should they charge you of this, Lord? Why? And they begin to ponder, and they begin to think on this. And in the face of the world's charge, there begins a consideration of the answer to that question. Where is your God? And then they begin to ponder, where is our God? And they answer it. Number one, two-part answer. Number one, our God's in the heavens. He's not on the earth. Our God is not bound to earth. He's eternally self-existent. He is self-derived. His name is I am, not I will be or I was, I am. He is dependent on no one. He is eternal, uncreated. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you glad? That's who our God is. He's not of this world. He's not in the box. He created the box. He exists beyond the world, number one. Secondly, And this God, he does all that he pleases. That's who our God is. He does all that he pleases. He's not unencumbered by anything. He is unstoppable by anyone. He is no prisoner of circumstances. He's undeterred by all. He's omnipotent in his power. He's omniscient in his understanding. He is unassailably free to pursue all he desires. That's who our God is. That's who our God is. Our God is sovereignly and independently reigns over all. And then they say, well, what about their gods? I mean, we're all, we all worship something or somebody, right? We all are, we're, we're created, we're beings that are made to worship. What about their gods. Let's contrast our God, this God who's in the heavens, who does all he pleases with the gods of this world. They say they can't perceive our God. We can easily perceive their gods. Let's talk about their gods. Where do they originate? What is their nature? What are their capabilities? What is the extent of their power? And they say, first of all, their gods are, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. Silver and gold. In other words, the most precious aspects of their gods has to be mined out of dirt. Has to be taken from the earth. And then follows this devastating sevenfold takedown of the idols of this world. These idols, they say, and you can look there in Psalm 115, they have mouths, eyes, ears, and noses that do not speak, see, hear, or smell. They have hands that do not feel, feet that do not walk, throats that can't even make a sound. That's the idols of this world. Can't do those things. Now, when I was a little kid, I'm from a family of five children. 
And we bought presents for everybody each year for Christmas. With, we got a, a small salary every week for the odd jobs you did around the house. It wasn't a lot, and I tended to spend most of mine. So when Christmas came around, I didn't have a whole lot of money. And we bought gifts for our parents. We bought gifts for my mother. So for my mother one year, I remember I bought this little ceramic cardinal. It had eyes. It had a beak. It had feathers. It had wings. It had feet. But it could not see. It could not peck. It could not fly. And it could not walk. Looked like a cardinal. Was the image of a cardinal. And before I got it home, I do remember this. Before I got home with it, I broke its beak and had to glue it before I could give it to my mother for Christmas. Pretty powerless. In Vienna, Austria, there is something called the Cellini salt cellar or the Celliera. Has anybody ever heard of that or seen that? Well, let me tell you about it. It was built, it was made, it's a sculpture. It's called the Mona Lisa of Sculptures. It's about this big. It was made by Benvenuto Cellini in 1543 as part of the Hasbird Treasures. Got to see this. Amazing. It is amazing. Has figures, has images of Neptune and Tellus, land and sea, not cast from metal, but made, hammered from gold. It is one of a kind. It's priceless. It's insured for $70 million. Value, do they think, at over $100 million. How do you value something like this? It is amazing. It's amazing sculpture. As you can imagine, it's surrounded by alarms and all kinds of maximum security. In 2003, they decided to uh, reconstruct the outside of the museum. They had scaffolding all around the museum. And several times a day, the alarms would go off because they're building around that museum and the shaking and all that would send off the alarms. After a while, they didn't worry about the alarms. They didn't worry about the alarm when the Cellini salt cellar was stolen, taken out into a forest and buried into a lead, in a lead box. It's 2003. This isn't in the 1800s. This is 20 years ago. It was stolen. This magnificent sculpture with these figures, these images on it. They had eyes, they had ears, they had mouths, they had feet, and all these things. You know what that sculpture did when it was stolen? Nothing. Nothing. That's the idols of this world. Isaiah 44, 12 through 17, pictures an ironsmith taking a cutting tool and creating an idol over the coals. It says he hammers intently until he becomes so hungry that his strength fails. He becomes so thirsty. He's famished, but he thinks I can't quit. I need to finish this idol so I can bow down and worship it. The foolishness of idols says another man plants a cedar. He waters it through the years until it grows big. He cuts the log out of it. He cuts the log in half for with half of it. He constructs this idol bows down and worships it, and with the other half, chops it up and builds a fire to bake his bread. And we hope he didn't get the sides mixed, right? That, those are the idols of this world. Our God is in the heavens. We don't understand him all the time, do we? Our God is in the heaven. He does all that he pleases. Their gods are of this world, and they're mere man-created Idols capable of doing nothing. 
Now, verse 8 tells us a sad conclusion regarding all who worship created things. It says, those who worship them become like them. They become spiritually deaf, dumb, and blind, imperceptive of the one true God. And it isn't just in the Old Testament. In Romans chapter 1, we read of those... Paul wrote of who created, who, who, who worship created things. He says the, the power of God can be known by, through the things that have been created around us. His divine nature and power have been clearly see, seen through the things that are created. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? That's what Psalm 19 says. So if we have eyes to see, we can look out here and, say, and we can see this didn't just happen by chance. We can look into the human body. We can look at the human eye and we can say, couldn't have happened. There has to be something, someone that created this. We can't know everything about God, but we can know this is statistically impossible. And Paul writes, those who will not look and see the God who dwells in the heavens, those who will not worship him, their mind, and yet worship created things, he says, their minds become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts are darkened. Claiming to be wise, they become fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Our God is in the heavens. Their gods are of the earth. That's what the psalmists are thinking. Let's compare who we worship, who they can't see, with who they worship, whom we can see. How great is our God? How superior is the Lord we worship? Our God, unlike their God, is worthy of trust and worthy of praise. And that's what's going on in Psalm 115. They start out in a place thinking, Lord, we want you to move. We want you to show your steadfast love and faithfulness. And we hear the world's cries, where is their God? And as they begin to ponder on that, they think, here's our God. And even more, as they think about their God, they contrast with the gods of this world, which only magnifies our God. He's far above all else. We sang about it this morning. Love those songs. We sing it. He's like no other God. And as a congregation contrasts the world's idols with their one true God, there springs forth faith in the congregations. And you begin to see these exhortations in verses 9 through 11, which you read, which we read, O Israel, trust in the Lord. So you hear the, the leader saying, O Israel, trust in the Lord. And the congregation says, he is their help and shield. He, this God, the God in the heavens is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and your shield. You who fear the Lord, the covenant God, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. This is the God that helps us. This is the God that we cry out to. And then followed is a certainty of God's faithfulness. And while I imagine things have not changed yet, they begin to declare the Lord has remembered us. Listen, even when we don't understand circumstances and situations in our lives, the Lord has not forgotten us. On the way down, I visited a friend. He's been, in, he's been in a nursing home for eight years, played football with him, healthy. He's got a disease that's placed him in the hospital. He had a, 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 a crisis. He's been now, he was in a nursing home, then had a crisis. He's been in a nursing home for eight years, had a crisis recently, ended up at UVA. He's been there for 60 days. What good news do you sell someone like that? You say, God has not forgotten you. 
He has not forgotten us. And that's what you see here. You see them in 12 and 13 saying, the Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. How do we know he will bless us? Because he's a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. Can I say it in the next moment? Can I say it in the next hour? Can I say it in the next days? No, but can I say it ultimately? Absolutely. Because that's who he is. So they cry out, the Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless, you hear the referring theme there? He will, he will, he will. He will bless those who fear the Lord. And I love this line. And if you're feeling small, this is for you, both small and great. Both small and great. He remembers his people and he will bless. And from that, Springs forth confident prayer. And that's what you see in verses 14 and 15. May the Lord give you increase, Kingsway Community Church. May the Lord give you increase. May the Lord give you increase in Richmond, in Bolivia, in Namibia, in Thailand, in Ethiopia. Those are some of the missions we support as a region, right? And are going to support. May the Lord give you increase. You see here that prayer of faith? May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made, who made heaven and earth. That's who our God is. Not may you be blessed by the idols of this world. No, may you be blessed by the one who can do all things. Who made all things. That's our God. That's who you put your hope in. That's who you trust in the difficult times. Not some created things. It's the God who made heaven and earth. We pray to a God who acts on behalf of his people. We pray for a God who shows steadfast love and faithfulness to those who hope in him. That is who he is. And then the psalm concludes in praise. It says the heavens are the Lord's. Yes, they are. They're the Lord's. We don't own those. The heavens are the Lord's. But the earth he's given to the children of men, there's a delegation that he has given to us. There's a role that we have to play. And then it says the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do those who go down in silence. But we're not those people yet. And we won't be those people ever for those who love him. We won't be going down in silence as his people. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do those who go down in silence into silence. But we... His people, his covenant people who what? Know his name. I will declare before you my name, the Lord, the Lord, full of steadfast love and mercy. That's who our God is. But we, his people who know his name, we, his people who know his steadfast love and faithfulness, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, regardless of what the world says. Regardless of where they say, where's your God? We will bless the Lord because we know our God. He is in the heaven, heavens, and he does all that he pleases. Now, how much more can we who are, are Christians who have, been, who have been brought into the world in the, fullness of, in the fullness of time, in the age of grace, say about this God in our day? How much more can we praise this God? We can proclaim with the Apostle John that the in the beginning was the Word, 
And the word was with God. And the word was God. And we have seen his glory. We, show us your glory, Lord. We've seen his glory. Have we not? We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. We can say with Paul in Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image. He, and we can say with the writer of Hebrews, he is the exact imprint of his nature. That's who we trust. That's who we put our hope in. The word became flesh. This image became flesh and dwelt among us. He had eyes that saw the sick and the oppressed and those bound by sin. He had ears that heard the cry of the humble, a widow, a centurion, a thief hanging on the cross next to him. He heard of them. He had a mouth not a mouth that couldn't speak, but a mouth that spoke the words of eternal life. He spoke to a religious man in the middle of the night who asked, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? And he said, you must be born again. And shortly after, spoke to a Samaritan adulteress in the middle of, the, of a hot day in Samaria, there by herself because others didn't want to be around her because she'd had four husbands and she was with her fifth. And he spoke to her and said, ask of me and I'll give you water that will that'll well up to eternal life. You'll never have to draw from this well again. I'll give you living water. And he had a mouth that spoke to a dead man and probably had to use, use speak by name when he said, Lazarus, come forth. Maybe if he hadn't used his name, he might have had a lot more people come forth, right? <laughs> Listen, he had a mouth that spoke. He's not like the idols of this world. By his words, he raised a man from the dead. He had hands that not only healed the sick, but touched lepers. Touched, touched lepers, the image of God, the exact representation of his nature. And he opened the eyes of the blind. You remember. Opened the eyes of the blind, and he had feet that walked our road and knows our pain and we're ultimately pierced for our transgressions. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And what pleased the Lord? Well, the King James, James says it this way. It pleased the Lord to crush him. Or it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Our God is in heaven. He does all that he pleases. Isaiah 53 says it was the will of the Lord to crush him. That's what pleased the Lord. Now, not in the sense that it gave him pleasure, but that's what he willed. To lay on him the iniquity of us all, so that the righteous one, his servant, would make the many to be accounted righteous and to bear their iniquities. That's the glory of God. That's steadfast love and faithfulness. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Is that amazing grace? I mean, when you hear the statement, our God is in heaven, he does all that he pleases. If you didn't know the Lord, our covenant God, that is a fearful statement. But for those who know him, those are the words of eternal life. That's the God who saves. 
And the Lord raised him from the dead, and it pleased him to make us alive in Christ and seat us together with him in heavenly places. So that in the coming ages he might pour out his grace upon his people. What a God we serve, huh? In the coming ages he's going to pour out his grace upon his people. And the scriptures say unto all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were not born of blood or the will of the flesh, but born of God. That's the God we serve. Our God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases, and it pleases him to show steadfast love and faithfulness by granting salvation and eternal life to all who put their trust in him. And I pray you've done that. I don't know very, I know just a few of you. I don't know most of you. But I do know you're here today because of God's determination. You walk through the door and you're here to hear these words. And if you're not a Christian, I pray that you will know and put your trust in this God and turn away from all idols of this world, which will not bring you life in the end. And serve the living God who is in the heavens, who is pleased to send his son to earth to die for our sins that we might have life. That's the God we serve. Do you know that God? Do you know that Lord? Have you turned from those impotent idols to the living God? Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord, huh? Praise the Lord.